going to be preaching on this little verse this morning that God gives us more grace. More grace. And so I'm going to read this portion with you this morning. James chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. That's where we're going to dwell this morning. He gives us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Father, I pray that you would come this morning and move in power. I thank you for what you've already done during the worship, but God, I ask that you do more. I ask you to do more in our hearts now as we sit under your words. But I pray above all, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to people this morning, that you would bring revelation to all of us, that you would encourage us, that you would refresh us. And as we trust you to minister to us at the end of this preach, I really pray as we give you space just to minister to people, that you will come, bring revelation, bring refreshing, that we might be those that live with passion and energy for you because of what you're doing inside of us. I simply trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Remember last week I said that sometimes the Scripture brings bad news and then it brings good news, all right? And uh, we talked about all the bad news last, last week where James is encouraging his friends and saying, don't be adulterous, don't have an affair with the world, don't kiss the world. Remember we had a look at that. Don't be those that kiss the world. God wants your hearts. God is wooing us all the time and saying, I want your heart, I want your heart, I want your heart. And so... We looked at that portion where James said the Spirit of God is jealously at work in us. He's jealously uh, wooing us, saying, I want you back, I want you back. And he's calling us back to this love relationship with him. A couple of weeks before that, I talked about the overriding grace of God. Do you remember that? The the, the grace of God that restrains sin in our lives so that God can continue to work in us and make us more like Jesus. And I said that God's grace restrains us sometimes because He loves us and He wants the best for us. So He doesn't allow us sometimes to get our way because He's restraining our hearts so that He can draw us back to Himself. And the main reason that God exercises that overruling grace or over, overriding grace, restraining grace in our lives is so that He can begin to teach us by His Spirit. That's what He wants to do. He wants us to come to terms with sin in our lives, subdue that by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that he can begin to teach us his ways in our lives. And um, I want to talk about that this morning. I want to talk about more grace. I want to talk about the invitation that the Holy Spirit has for all of us, is that, and that is simply this, no longer to live by the flesh. No longer to live by the flesh, but to walk by the Spirit. And that's what I'd like to explore essentially this morning out of this verse where James says he gives us more grace. And so there's this wonderful invitation that God has for all of us as Christians that we would make this transition from the flesh to learning to walk by the Spirit. So what does that mean? Well, quite simply, the moment that you are saved, the moment that you come to faith, the moment that you are born again, whatever the terminology is that you might might understand, that moment that you are saved, God begins a process of transition in your life 
where he's moving you from the place of being operating out of the flesh so that you begin to walk by his spirit. That moment you're saved, that begins to happen. And in a sense, when you are born again, it's the easiest thing in the world to be born again. In this sense, we don't have to do anything. All we do is we believe on the cross, we believe on what Jesus has already done, and we put all our trust in what Jesus has done to save us. It's the easiest thing in the world to be saved, really. Because all we have to do is believe on Jesus. And at that, he, he, when we are saved, He treats us in the most kind way. It's like the Father takes His arms and He welcomes us into the kingdom as babies. And we really are spiritual babies when we are born again. And God treats us tenderly. How many of you can testify that when you were first saved, you had some of the most amazing experiences that you've had with God when you were first saved? How many of you can say that? I can say that. Do you know why that is? It's because when you are saved, God, out of His kindness, He treats us with tenderness like a father treats a baby. Because that's what we are. We are spiritual babies. And then He begins this process of helping us to grow up and become men and women, sons and daughters in the kingdom. Martin Luther said this. He said, God uses sex to drive a man towards marriage. God uses ambition to drive a man to serve. God uses fear to drive a man to faith. What he's trying to say is simply this. In the same way, God encourages us and invites us, when we are born again, He extends another invitation to us in our lives, and He says, I want you to walk with me, I want you to learn obedience with me, and I want you to grow up and be men and women that love me with all of your hearts, and not to remain babies forever. The problem is this, none of us like to leave our childhood behind. <laughs> our culture doesn't encourage us to leave our childhood behind. In fact, I want to put it quite strongly and say our culture encourages us to be teenagers forever. Never quite becoming men. Never quite becoming women. Always resisting, of, um, resisting responsibility. You know, just not, never quite growing up. Always wanting to be a teenager forever. Our culture encourages that. It's not God's plan for your life. It's not God's plan for my life. We, if we live like that, we suffer from arrested development, and there's nothing more uh, unsettling for me than a 40-year-old man behaving like a teenager, a 50-year-old man still behaving like a teenager. It's embarrassing. Yeah? And so God wants us to grow in Him. He wants us to grow up. The tone of the Scripture, Paul's encouragement always, is that I don't want you still to be babies that need spiritual milk. I want you to grow up and become men and women that love me and serve me and can reproduce something else for the kingdom through your life. So I really trust that this will be an encouraging message for you. And uh, that can happen spiritually. We can, also, we can also stop growing spiritually. And Paul, that's what Paul said to the, the Corinthian church. The, the Corinthian church was an exciting church to be part of. It was energetic. It was full of gifts. It was passionate. But the thing about the Corinthian church was that it was still immature. And why do I say that? Well, Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1. He says this, Brothers, I love his heart. You know, the scripture is always full of these little words that we need to take notice of. He's not beating them over the head. He's saying, Brothers, my friends, 
I love you. Listen up. That's what he's saying. He's saying, brothers, I can't address you as spiritual people. Because you are people of the flesh. Infants in Christ. So he says, my friends, I love you. Let me just encourage you here. You're still infants in Jesus. Infants in Christ. I feed you with milk, not solid food, because you are not ready for it. And even now, you are still not ready, and you are still in the flesh. For there is jealousy. There is strife amongst you. Are you not in the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Incredibly gifted church, full of spiritual gifts, people prophesying, doing this, uh, seeing people healed, incredible church to be a part of. But Paul says to them, you're still babies, you're still babies because you're fighting and you're jealous and there's discord in the church and I can't even give you solid food because you still need spiritual milk and I don't want you to be there forever. That's his heart. Yeah? I'm not saying this to accuse anybody here. I'm saying uh, this to encourage us as a church community that uh, the tone of our hearts would be, God, help me be a man. Help me be a woman. I want to serve you. I want to grow up, Lord. I'm nearly 50 in two years' time. I, I want to be a man that's reproducing others for the kingdom through my life. I don't want to be a teenager. And so, any great character in the Bible, if you look, if you look, Moses... It took God 40 years, the second half of Moses' life. It took God 40 years to transition him from a man that walked in the flesh to a man that walked by the Spirit, and his personal selfish desires were subjugated to the higher call of God in his life. It took God 40 years. So I, I want to say to you that God is kind and gracious, and He takes whatever time it takes for us to make us like Jesus. And it's how Paul describes his own life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, he says this, He died for all, and I love that scripture that talks about it, He died for all, He died for all of us, that those who live, in other words, those that are saved, those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him. Paul says it again. He says, when you're saved, God saved you for a purpose. It's not so that you could live a selfish life. It's so that you can start to live for others and give yourself for others. That your own selfish ambition begins to die and is superseded for a love for the kingdom and God's kingdom and to see other people set free. So God wants us to grow. and He wants us to grow up. And I want to put it to you this morning that growing up really is the transition from walking in the flesh to walking by the Spirit. I want to say to you, that is what it's about. That's what it means to be a spiritual person. It's a person that is no longer governed by the flesh, but is governed by the Spirit of God and is living for the Spirit of God. You know, it's beautiful when we get saved. God accepts us just as we are. We don't have to do anything. The Scripture is full of, of um, uh, encouragements while we were still dead in our sin. God found us. While we were still enemies of God, He loved us. That's settled. He takes us just as we are when we are saved. And all we have to do is believe on Him. It's the most glorious thing. But there comes a time, did you ever remember a time in your life when you were saved and it's kind of you got stuck? And you felt like you weren't growing anymore? Did you ever experience that? I experienced that. There was a time when it was just it was like rock and roll for, for many months, and it was just wonderful, and everything was new, and, and God was just speaking to me, and suddenly it was like I got stuck. 
It's like I was running on the spot and just kind of not making progress anymore. You know what that is, if you've ever experienced that in your life? That is God's invitation to you and to me to start He's kind of taking us out of our swaddling clothes. And he's saying, okay, I want you to start learning to walk now. And he puts us down on the ground, on the floor. And he helps us and he holds our hands and says, okay, stand, my son, stand. And it's like, oh, I don't like this, God. It's a little bit stretching. It's a little bit uncomfortable. I, I, I'm not sure I want to walk. It's his invitation to us. That moment when we kind of feel stuck, he's saying, actually, I want you to start to grow now. You know what I've discovered? And I'm not accusing anyone, but you know, most of us want to still be babies. We quite like um, being bottle-fed. We quite like having our nappy changed. We quite like having someone else clean our bottom. We quite like it. It's more comfortable to remain in the cradle and to get up and start to learn to walk. Remember what Paul said again, 1 Corinthians 13, 11, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, you see, in his own life, he's saying there was a process. I was a child in Christ, I was a baby in Christ, but when I became a man, when I had transitioned from walking from the flesh to walking by the Spirit, I gave up childish ways. Remember that? And then he concludes verse 13, which is uh, chapter 13 of Corinthians. He's talking about spiritual gifts, and he concludes it at the end in verse 31. And he says, seek a more excellent way. And what is the more excellent way that he encourages us all into? He talks about love. He talks about the higher law. All the language I've been trying to share with you. The perfect law that brings freedom. What does Jesus say? This is the gospel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's love. That's what Paul is saying. It's the highest way. We celebrate gifts. Gifts are wonderful. We celebrate spiritual gifts, but the highest way is the way of love. See, gifts don't make us strong. Gifts don't make us mature. Uh, The more excellent way that Paul is speaking about is becoming a person that no longer walks according to the flesh, but a person that walks by the Spirit of God. That's the most excellent way that he's talking about. And the only reason that he wants us to make that transition is so that we can know him. That we can know him as our Father. I want to say to you, all of us have natural ambitions that motivate us, yeah? And that's not always a bad thing. We need to be motivated, and our natural ambition sometimes motivates us. But I want to say God's desire... His jealousy over our lives is that we have an ambition for Him. He wants us to be ambitious for Him, for His kingdom, in the best possible way of, of what I can express ambition. He wants us to have a, a heart, a, a desire to see something of His kingdom come. And so His Spirit dwells in us, jealously, like we looked at last week. His Spirit in us is jealously, jealously at work in us to woo us always back to Him, and to His plan, and to His kingdom, and what He has for us. And uh, you could call that the kingdom of God. He, he, he wants us to jealously desire the kingdom of God. And you know, it was true even of Jesus. Hebrews 5, 8 tells us, Jesus didn't live for his own ambition. He didn't live for his desire. It says he lived for his father. Hebrews 5, 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience to what? To his father's desires for his life. To what he suffered. And so I want to put it to you this morning that in all of our lives, every good thing we experience, and in particular, every difficult thing we go through, 
In all of that, the goal that God has for us, for you and me, is that we learn to hate what Jesus hates, that we learn to love what Jesus loves. So ultimately, that we can't tell the difference between God's will and our will because our wills have become His will. That's what the the big picture is. He wants us to learn in everything that He's taking us through so that ultimately we can say, Father, not my will, but Your will. And we know that He's so changing us that His will is becoming our will. There's an incredible story in the Old Testament of a guy called Enoch. Have you heard of Enoch? And it's a couple of verses about Enoch, but it's an amazing, amazing story because basically Genesis 5.24 says this, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. It's incredible. It's like in his relationship with God, Enoch so got to know God, so got to be God's friend, that God, in fact, said to him, you know too much now, I need to take you up to heaven to be with me. And he didn't die, he was just taken up to heaven, just like that. That's what the scripture says. Enoch was, and then he was taken by God, because he had got to know him as a friend. What about Peter? For, for years and years, Peter was a selfish man that was related to Jesus out of what Jesus could do for him, but then there came a day where Peter could say this, he has granted us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. 2 Peter 1.4. Peter says the same thing. He's saying the same thing as what James is saying, what Paul has said, what happened to Moses, what happened to Enoch. He's saying the same thing. He made a transition from being a selfish man, living for himself, to a man that walked by the Spirit of God. And that is maturity. That is growing up. And so this beautiful, beautiful verse that James gives us, he says, God gives us more grace. I want to just look at that, and I do want to leave some time for ministry this morning. Remember, when God, when God restrains us, He does it because He's our friend, He does it because He's our Father, and He does it because He loves us. The amazing thing is, The first thing that God poured out upon us was grace, that we might be saved. He took the initiative with us. And to keep us, He continues to pour grace out onto our lives. He saves us by grace. He keeps us by grace. Our lives are a testimony of His grace. Amen. And so, what James is saying to these friends of his, he's saying, even though you have fallen so low, even though you have stooped so low, and what I mean by that, they were fighting with each other, they were discriminating rich and poor, saying we like rich people, we don't like poor people. James is saying, even though you've stooped so low that you think like that, and that motivates you, he says to them, essentially, you're still God's children. You're still God's children. And that's why he says, God gives them more grace. God is so merciful to us, He's so kind to us, that He rescues us by His grace even when we're not behaving like Christians. I'm so glad about that because there are many times in my life when I've not behaved like a Christian and God still loved me, kept me, His, his, his kindness has been on my life so that He can still use me. Isn't that an amazing thing? James is saying, even though you are kissing the world, even though you're backslidden, you're kissing the world, even though you've given your heart to the world, God still is pouring out grace upon you to bring you back to Him. And then he re- It's kind of like God reinstates His call over their lives by saying, I'm pouring out more grace. And I want to say this to you, and this is, I hope, will bring clarity to you in terms of what I believe the Bible says. 
I believe this is a different call that God has for us. It's a different call. What do I mean? Well, God originally calls us to salvation, to faith in Christ. That's when He first pours out His grace upon us. But after we've become Christians, there's an invitation that God extends again to us, and that's a call to repentance. Okay? He first calls us to eternal salvation, which is faith in Christ, and that's a very, it's easy. All we have to do is believe. All we have to do is be born again, and we don't initiate that. God initiates that anyway by His grace, and we are born again. But then He comes again to us as Christians, and He encourages us into a life of obedience. He encourages us to do what pleases Him by walking by the Spirit. And that invitation, he extends graciously out of his kindness. And that's why we had a look at Abraham. Remember, we had a look at Abraham. We had a look at Rahab, the prostitute. And what did I say to you? James says that their works justify, vindicate their faith because there was something in their lives that was a process that you could see they loved God by how they lived. Yes? So what James is calling these friends of his to And what God calls all of us to is those that are born again, those that are saved. He calls us all to a life of holiness and a life of obedience. And for what I've read, uh, the, the, the first person to use this phrase, new obedience, was Martin Luther. And he simply said this. He said, God called us the first time to obey the gospel, to believe what Jesus did on the cross. That results in our eternal salvation. Never be taken from us. Once we are saved, we are saved. That's what I mean, all right? Secondly, God calls us to a new obedience. What is that new obedience? That's to walk and be holy and to walk with Him by the Spirit of God. Now, there's a difference between those two things. This is the difference. When we are called the first time, it's God's initiative. It's His prevenient grace. That's what Augustine calls it. Prevenient, all it means is that grace comes first. God's grace comes first in our lives. He initiates it. He says, I choose you, Andrew. I choose you sovereignly, and you're saved. You've got nothing to do with it. That's God's prevenient grace. But this thing of choosing to obey, we all have a choice in that. We can resist obedience. We might be saved, but we can choose not to obey God. And that's what the Puritans, you know the Puritans, uh, also well-known people from the 18th, 19th century, they called that experimental grace. Obedience. In other words, you can then experience God's power in your life. Not that you just saved, of course you saved, but we want to experience God's power in our life. That's experiential grace. It's rooted in reality. It's transforming us from the inside out. Yes? You understand what I'm saying? And that you do have something to do with. Because you can choose to resist that, or you can choose to embrace that. You can choose to be fruitful, you can choose not to be fruitful. Rooted in Christ, planted in family, fruitful in life. What does the fruitful in life bit mean? It means I want to allow the power of the Holy Spirit in me to transform me so that I can experience God's power in my life. And because I'm experiencing God's power in my life, I'm living differently. So it's a different type of grace. So really, when we look at the word grace, there's three ways we can understand it. One, saving grace. Yep. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved. Then we can understand grace as restraining grace. Remember, we looked at that last week. Uh, I love the example of Jonah. 
Jonah is a man who was restrained by God. The restraining grace was active in his life. What do I mean by that? Well, God wanted him to go to the Ninevites, who were the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were the Nazis of their day. And I don't use that, I don't use that term lightly. Go and read about what the Assyrians did. They were like the Third Reich of the ancient world. They were not nice people. And so God says to Jonah, I want you to go to the, 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 the third Reich of your day. I want you to go to the Nazis and I want you to preach to them and bring the good news to them. And Jonah says, hey, not me, God. He says, I'm not going there. And so he goes in a completely opposite direction. And you know what? The restraining grace of God is active in his life. And so what does God prepare for Jonah? He prepares a storm. He prepares a wind. He prepares a whale, a big fish, and he says, I'm gonna, my grace is gonna restrain you, Jonah. I've got a mission for your life, and you're gonna experience the wind and the storm and the belly of the fish for three days, and suddenly you're gonna come to your senses, because you're gonna understand what I have for you. You know, looking back at my life, I've, I've, I've experienced some of the storms of God and the wind of God, and I have to say, I've been in the belly of the whale many times over. How many of you can say, that you've seen some of that in your life. It's God's kindness to you. It's God's grace restraining things in your life so that you can actually get to understand what he has for you and what he wants for you. It's an incredible thing. And this is what James is talking about, this experiential grace. This is what James is talking about when he says God gives us more grace. He's talking about the actual power of God at work in our lives. The people that James is writing to, they, they had been born again, they were saved. They, had no, they, were no, they knew what it was to be restrained and kept preserved, and God was doing that. But what James is saying is, I don't want you to be in the belly of the whale forever. He's saying, I want you to move on. There's something infinitely more wonderful that God has for you outside of the belly of the whale. Are you with me? The thing is that they were saved, but they had kissed the world, and because they had mixed with the world, they were having no effect on the world. And James is saying to them, it's not enough just to believe. Born again. They thought they were going to change the world by believing. And James is saying, ah, if you want to be called a friend of God like Abraham, there needs to be an active obedience in your life that you have something to do with, not taking away from anything that God has done, that you have something to do with so there can be life that flows through you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, more grace. So do I mean, when I, when, well, does James mean that the grace of God that saves us is not enough? Is that why he's saying we need more grace? No, no. The grace that God pours out is sufficient. It's complete. All we need is that saving grace. Absolutely. With that is settled. But you know, God is so kind to us. He always treats us with dignity and kindness. And so he's actually extending his kindness to his people by saying, I'm going to give you more grace. It's not that it's not sufficient. I want you to have more so that every step of the way you can have what you need to live a life that honors and pleases me. Yeah? That's a beautiful thing. And so James is saying to his friends that God wants you to move on into what is positive. You've, your sin has been dealt with at the cross. 
God has restrained you, has kept you in the belly of the whale, but God wants you to move out of that and to experience something more powerful, more uh, joyful, much more liberating, and that is to walk by the Spirit of God. That's what he's saying. It's to move from the flesh, walking by the flesh, to walking by the Spirit. And really that's giving our lives in love to Christ, Him primarily saying our friendship with Jesus is the most important thing in our lives, not friendship with the world. And so um, this is what Paul is trying to aim at in Ephesians 3.20 when he says that we can do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. And then he qualifies it. He says, according to His power at work, in us. That's the deal. It's not trying hard. It's not trying to work stuff up. No, no. It's having a heart that's open and saying, Holy Spirit, thank you that you are available to me right now and your power that's in work in my life. I want to release that power. Not Anthony's power. Not Petri's power. The Holy Spirit's power in me. Amen. And so what James is speaking about is the demonstration in our lives. The active demonstration that God is in us and God is working through us by the power of His Holy Spirit. It's the grace that is saying, James is saying, that grace, if that kind of grace is active in your life, the world will see that there's something different with you and the world will say, what is it about you, Derek, that is different? Uh, it's, it's the active grace of God in my life. It's His kindness in my life. It's, 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 that's what it is that you see. And so, you know, there's a scripture in Acts that says these world, these people have turned the world upside down, these Christians. They've turned the world upside down. Well, these friends of James, they weren't experiencing that power. They desperately needed that power in their lives. And if you look at church history, church history is a story. There's much evidence in church history of God's restraining grace over his church, God keeping his church alive, God keeping his church in his arms. But I want to say to you that there's an invitation from God himself to every one of us, all of us that are part of his church, to experience his great power in our lives. Not just restraining, but his great power. That's what Paul describes in Colossians 1.12. He says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. What is the inheritance of every saint? The inheritance that God has for you and for me is that we might know His power in our lives. And Paul says, Ephesians 3.19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's His power. you saved, absolutely. God has kept you and restrained you, preserved you, absolutely. But God wants you to experience the fullness of His power in your life that comes by the Holy Spirit. Hey, amen. That's the only way we can live. It's by the power of God. And that's what I want to suggest to you this morning. I want to tell you this morning. That's true godliness. That's, you want to be great in the kingdom? Well, then we have to make this, this transition from fleshly, selfish lives that live for ourselves to living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit and living for others. That's maturity. That's growing up. That's becoming a man and a woman of God. So, I'll conclude with this. I want to ask you a question. Will you willingly enter in? You see, this greater grace, an invitation to greater grace, is available to all of us. All of us are equally saved. All of us are equally righteous before God right now. I am not more saved than Petri. I am not more saved than any one of you. You are, are as saved and as righteous as I am because of the blood of Jesus. It's equal for all of us. 
absolutely equal. There's no hierarchy when it comes to being saved. We are all saved by the same blood in the same way. We are all equally righteous before God. I want to say this, though. Not all Christians equally enjoy the greater grace that James is speaking about. (laughs) That's where the difference comes. Why do I say that? Well, you have to apply that grace in your life. James actually gives us what we need to do. He, he, He gives us the answer in the passage. We've got to accept the terms that God's extending that grace to us. We've got to accept his terms. We can't, we can't debate the terms. God makes it quite clear. He says, I give this kind of grace to you that are humble. <laughs> There's the deal. You want that kind of greater grace in your life? Humble yourself. I, as I speak to myself, humble myself. Not resist being proud. Resist saying, God, I can do it by myself. No, no. God pours out his greater grace on those that are humble. He lifts them up. And so it means the other part of the terms are that we have to hate what God hates. We need to love what God loves. We need to not be one to be kissing the world. We want to be kissing the sun. And um, you might ask me, you might say, well, and how can it be that this grace is conditional? This greater grace is conditional. Well, the first grace that we received at our conversion was not. That's true. It's the free gift. He has, he has the one verse that encapsulates what I'm saying. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. There's God's initiative. There's provenient grace. There's the grace that comes first. There it is. What's the condition of faith? It comes after that those who might believe. There's the condition of faith. Of course, God extends his grace to us, but there's an obedience that comes as we believe that God is encouraging us into. And it's an invitation. He doesn't force that on you, and He doesn't force that on me. You might be saved and going to heaven this morning, and that's a beautiful thing, but I wanted to say to you that God invites you to a much deeper uh, relationship with Him. Um, He's wooing your heart. He's saying, I want you to experience greater grace so that you can experience power in your life, not just resisting sin, not just being saved, but experience power in your life, and that comes as you humble yourself, as you say, Jesus, I desperately need you for this life. If you don't say, Jesus, I desperately need you, you think you can do it on your own, God will say, cool, do it on your own. You hear me? I want to say, this is incredibly good news. (laughs) It's incredibly good news. It doesn't mean you have to strive. It just simply means that you let the Holy Spirit change you from the inside out. And I want to say to you this morning, will you willingly enter in? Is this, it's an invitation from God for you and I, every one of us this morning, that we might begin to enjoy a new adventure with Him. It is an adventure. It's an adventure that comes as we begin to obey Him. And you can end up in an extraordinary place where you never thought you would ever be simply because you've obeyed God. Matthew said to me the other day, did you ever think you'd be living in England one day? Did you ever think that you would be living in London? I had, I had inklings and dreams of things that I'd like to do. I, I, I wanted to travel. I never dreamed I would be living in Nascot Wood for 12 years, ever. I, I never dreamed I would do that. Why? Because that came simply as we obeyed God. 
We didn't know how it was going to work out. It is an adventure. I don't know how your life is going to work out. I really don't. But I'll have to say this to you. It's an adventure. It's a glorious adventure. It's absolutely fun. It's, it's brilliant when you obey God. And I don't know what adventures God has for you, but He has some adventures for you. <laughs> and they are, they are thrilling adventures. And I don't know where some of you will end up. Some Going back to Cape Town, perhaps some of you will end up in China and Shanghai and Hong Kong or in the depths of London in central London. I don't know where you're going to end up, but there's an adventure for you. Will you say yes? <laughs> you can resist. You can say, no, God, actually it's not for me. Well, God will say, cool, you're going to heaven, that's fine, you're settled. But this adventure, you're not going to enjoy the, this adventure that I have for you. And that comes as we walk according to the Spirit. And so we can't control our lives. We don't know what's going to happen, but God is sovereign over all. And to receive this greater grace, if we do truly receive it, we will begin to live for His glory and His kingdom and a love for Him And I want to say to you that no matter what your circumstances are, whether they are good things that you go through or whether they are difficult things that you go through, this is what James is saying to to all of us, that no matter what your circumstances are, you can still end up giving glory to God, loving Him with all your heart, and being on on a, a spiritual adventure that glorifies Him, regardless of what you're going through. Count it pure joy, my friends, when you go through hard times. It's part of the adventure. Don't like that. <laughs> it is. You know why? Because 1 John 5, 3 says this. He says, John says, We show that we love Him because we keep His commandments, and His commands are not burdensome. What does that mean? It means they're not demoralizing. It means they don't, they're not unreasonable. It means they are not hard. When our hearts are in love with Jesus, to obey Him is a beautiful thing. It's not hard. And Paul prayed, Colossians 4.12, I pray that you might stand mature and fully assured in the love of God. What is he saying? I want you to grow up and be men, fully assured in the love of God. I want you to stand. James said this in James uh, 1.3, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance has its full effect in your life, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What is he saying? I want you to be men. I want you to be women that love me, that can stand in the community and not get blown this way and that way. I want you to have an adventure with me. It's exciting. It's going to be a fantastic thing. But will you say yes? Will you let me? Will you resist me? Do you think that Paul became the man that that God wanted him to be? I, I do. I really think that Paul did become the man that God wanted him to be. He went from a person that hated God, God's people, and persecuted the church, to a man that passionately loved the church of Jesus, and he fulfilled God's plan for his life. Did you think, what about the father of our faith, Abraham? Do you think Abraham fulfilled his call, his life? I think he did. He went through this whole process in his life where he went through an imperfect walk with God, and God promised him something. He said, I'm going to make you a blessing to all the nations. He kind of deviated all along the way. He lied about his wife. He did all that stuff that I've talked to you about already. And in the end, when he offers up his son Isaac, God says, look at this man. He is my friend. Look how he pleases me. not saying it was easy. It took a lifetime. But in the end, he did what God wanted him to do. 
So, what about you? What about me? Uh, I'm not Abraham. I'm not Paul. I don't have his gifts. I don't have their gifts. With all due respect, neither do any of you. We're not Paul. We're not Abraham. We're not Peter. We are who we are with the gifts that God has given us. But I want to ask you this. Are we as pliable as they were? In other words, are we prepared to obey like they did? That's what we do have in common. We have a choice to obey. We say, yes, God, whatever you're saying, I'll do it. You see, I want to be someone that accomplishes everything that God has for me in my life. And I don't want to limit what God can do through me by carelessness, by disobedience, by just not hearing clearly. What about you? Just as I finish, let's remember this. I want to say it one more time. can't say it enough. God gives us more grace. If you need grace this morning, ask Him for it. Say, Jesus, I can't do this without you. This woman you've given me, I can't love her like you want me to love her. <laughs> Talks. We need to talk, man. <laughs> it's true. How is it possible to love your wife as Christ loved the church? You cannot do it in your own strength. How is it possible to parent your kids without the grace of God? I, it is impossible. We all mess up so many times. And we, we can't get anxious that they, they're going to all be bent and twisted. We just have to do the best that we can under the grace of God, trusting our children to His kindness and His care. It's all we can do. Can't do it without the grace of God. It's impossible. You can exhaust yourself <laughs> without the grace of God. But for those of you that are parents, you know you cannot do it without Jesus. And all, all James says is if you want to live that kind of life where the power of God is in you, just cry out to Him and say, Jesus, I can't do it by myself. I need you. Humble yourself and He will lift you up. That's the deal. I don't know about you, but I find it incredibly liberating just saying, God, I can't do it. I'm doing my best, but <laughs> I can't do this without you. Please help me. Please help me. So will you respond this morning? Will you respond to this invitation to enjoy more grace in your life? God has saved you. God has kept you. God has preserved you for what he wants you to do and become. Will you say, yes, Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, I want to learn no longer to be selfishly, fleshly. I want to learn to walk by the Spirit. Whatever it takes, I'm going to obey your voice in my life. I'm going to do what you're calling me to do so that I truly can be fruitful. And whoever I touch through my life, that they'll know something of you because it's your power in me. It's a great adventure. God's calling us to... As I was praying this morning, I, I, I get up every Sunday morning just to prepare and uh, pray. I really felt knowing that I was going to preach. But I didn't want to break bread this morning, but I wanted to give you opportunity as a congregation to respond. And I'm not putting anything on any of you. I'm just saying there's an invitation from God, from, from His heart towards us. It was right from the first call this morning. There's a sense of just the invitation of God. He's calling us deeper. He's calling us to more. And... and He's, he's not forcing you. 
He's not forcing you. He's saying you're saved. But if you want to walk with me more closely, I'm inviting you to come. I'm inviting you to a joyful adventure in obedience. And I don't know, you know, you, you're not, you're not going to know how it works out, but it, that's part of the adventure. But will you respond to him? Yeah. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you, if you wanted to say, Lord Jesus, help me, choosing to humble myself, choosing to give my, my, lay down my own will and say, I embrace yours. I want you to stand. I'm going to pray with you. And then we're going to pray for each other. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what he's called to do. So if you'd like to stand this morning, please stand. If you'd like to say, Lord Jesus, take me further. Thank you, God. Jesus, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that your kindness saved us. We thank you, Lord, that all we had to do was believe on your finished work and we were saved that moment. I thank you, Father, that ever since that moment, you've been inviting us and saying, my son, my daughter, will you walk more closely with me? Will you you hear the voice of my spirit that I can make you into the person that I want you to be? And Lord, we have to confess that, that, that there are times that we've been proud, that we've resisted, They've said, no, God, we choose our own way. And Lord, we, want, we just want to say this morning that we're sorry for those times and we, we want to ask that you would help us to keep our hearts soft and open. That you'd help us to obey even when it's not easy. We thank you for the adventure that you're taking us on. We thank you, Lord, that you want us all to be men and women that walk by the Spirit and not controlled by our fleshly desires, but are controlled. Paul said, the love of Christ controls me. The love of Christ motivates me. His kindness is at work in my life. Lord, help us to know what that means, really, in our lives. Help us to be those that experience your power in us, just because we are opening our hearts to you and saying, Lord, we can't do it ourselves.